In my new book, From Reopen to Reinvent, that comes out in July, I have an entire chapter on how it's time to rethink the role of the teacher. The chapter's called T in Teacher is for Team. Uh, and it's something that I've really come to strongly believe that we need to be thinking of co-teaching and teaching really as a team sport, something that teachers get to do with other adults every day. And we really enlarge our sense of what is a teacher and what are their responsibilities and who is an educator more broadly and how do they interact with kids to really create a web of support, whether that's academic, social, emotional, wellness, and so forth. And really the thought leaders uh, around this, dare I say, uh, have been at Arizona State University at their Mary Lou Fulton College. Uh, they've been at the forefront of rethinking the role of teacher and what do they do on a day-to-day -day basis and how do they work together and with students. Uh, and its dean, uh, Carol Basile, uh, joins us today. And I'm, I'm just delighted because, uh, you know, literally, Carol, you are, uh, with your colleagues, the thought leaders uh, on this initiative, the Next Education Workforce Initiative, it's called, for those who want to look it up as we're talking. Uh, but before we get into the mechanics of what you recommend and how you're actually spreading impact on the ground and things of that nature, I just want back up a little bit and talk about your own personal journey into this uh, realization and sort of a, a set of decisions you've made that we need to rethink the teaching profession and how the college more broadly has come to this recognition and, and, and sense as well. So I'll turn it over to you for sort of a, a personal reflection of how you came to this uh, realization. Yeah, this isn't hard, right? This is years and years of being in teacher preparation and you know, at multiple institutions and going to multiple places and multiple meetings and multiple conferences, you know, with people saying, hey, breaking news, you know, we have a teacher shortage problem or we have a teacher retention problem or we have a teacher recruitment problem. And everything was always about figuring out the projects and programs and activities that we were going to do to actually solve this problem. And the more that we thought about it and the more that we started looking at our students and thinking about, as you know, we think about workforce solutions for everything, everything, whether or not it's engineering or it's technology field or it's healthcare, but we never think about the educator profession, the teaching profession as a workforce development problem. And so here's years and years of saying, oh, it's recruitment retention. Well, this isn't a recruitment and retention problem. We've never been able to, to figure it out. We've never been able to solve it with projects and programs, activities. It has to be a systems play. And so, you know, here we are um, really trying to think about the entire system and what this looks like and how we can actually change that system. And how did you and your colleagues, not just you come to that, but, you know, there's obviously many faculty members all have... Mm -hmm. You're at a university, everyone has their own viewpoints, their own research and so forth. Yet you as, an, as a teacher's college have really coalesced around this idea. I'm just curious to speak about some of the faculty members journey alongside you uh, to really rethinking the uh, teacher workforce. And then we can get into uh, sure. the dynamics of what that looks like. So I think, you know, ASU certainly has a reputation, right, of, of trying to think big, trying to think systemically. And I think that's where it begins. It begins with that sort of expectation. It also begins with our charter where we talk about, you know, where we are about who we include, um, not who we exclude. And I think that the beginning of that is, is really faculty and, and staff who are hired to think this way. And the minute that you begin to think this way and you say, okay, so who are we leaving out? 
what does this look like? Is it okay for the fact that we're preparing thousands, hundreds and thousands of teacher candidates who leave us and they go into the profession and they're gone within two or three years or people that we're not getting because we've made it too hard or we've made it inflexible. And I think those are the conversations that initially we had to say, what can we, what can we do as a college of education that we have an obligation to really change things and to think about how we can create a better experience, not just for teachers, but also a learning environment for kids. And so in some ways we thought about, you know, how do we, you know, how can we do this? How do we leverage our convening power? How can we change our teacher ed program? How do we think very differently about what we do? And so this was sort of a coming together to say, all right, what is what is the next big thing that we could think about instead of just continuing to say, oh, we have a, you know, we have a teacher shortage problem. It's not a teacher shortage problem. It's symptomatic. And then diving back in and saying, well, it's symptomatic of what? That's interesting. So let's 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 dig into that. Then the uh, symptomatic of what? Because uh, I'll I'll just for those tuning in that don't know Arizona State yeah. University, I will confirm every single faculty and staff member that mission around it's about who we include and not exclude and how far we can take them and support them. That is on the lips of every single person who walks through that uh, campus and that university. It's it's just remarkable the culture uh, around that vision. So let's dig into what is the you know. How do you rethink that system itself uh, and, and sort of what is this next education workforce initiative itself? So the minute that you begin to think about this as a design problem and not, a, you know, it's a workforce design problem, not just a, let's let's create a new project program or activity. Then I think you start thinking about what is the, you know, what's the normative default right now, right, of education? And that is the one teacher, one classroom model. And so the minute that you start to think differently and you go, well, what if, what if, right? You could say, here's what we do today, right? We say, here's a group of kids and here's your 25 kids and your 25 kids and your 25 kids or 30 kids or in some countries, 60 kids. Um, and you have to be the end all be all. You have to know everything there is to know to support every single one of those kids. The minute you say, hmm, let's look at who the kids are Let's think about a group of kids and how we actually could build the right kinds of adults and the right kind of expertise around those kids. Now you have a design challenge that actually takes shape in a whole different way. So now you start thinking about, well, then what are the roles of teachers and how do they need to be upskilled and what do they need to specialize in and how do you create teams with distributed expertise? So we said as an anchor statement, we want to personalize and deepen learning for kids by creating teams of educators with distributed expertise. And we want to be able to think about how we provide flexible entry and specialization and advancement pathways for teachers. So we had to think of an idea, right? We had to design this in a way, good for kids, good for teachers. So I, I, I want to dig in on a few of those strands just out, out of my curiosity. You're hitting a lot of the things that I've said as well, that the problem with the movie Waiting for Superman was the title, like expecting teachers <laughs> to be these superheroes that do all these different things that individuals need. Uh, how do you start to unpack that role? What do you see as the you know variety of roles that uh, kids need in their lives from educators? And then how has that changed how you're actually preparing uh, teachers, because I imagine I, I want to get into like what you all are actually doing to change the yeah. profession. One very tangible piece of that is you're preparing a large part of the workforce uh, that's coming in uh, at various times. So I'm curious how that's changed uh, the teacher preparation. 
So there's a lot of levers to this, right? So you have to begin thinking about this as systemic change. And you have to, the minute that you say that professional teachers, we want to make sure that we continue to professionalize the profession. We don't want to deprofessionalize the profession along the way. We also have to think about this as cost neutral. So, so we began to think about design, right? So we said to, to schools and to districts, you've got X amount of dollars. You've got a grade level of kids. Today, you have four professional teachers. One has been a teacher for 12 years. They're terrific in teaching math and reading. Eh, they're okay around science. They don't particularly like teaching science, right? Uh, you have another one who just came in a couple years ago who was an ex-engineer who came in as a, you know, in an alternative pathway. You have another one that was hired because you needed somebody, you know, you know, they've got a degree, but you needed somebody. They really don't have teaching experience. And they've done some work with kids and you've got somebody somewhere in the middle, right? That That's good at, you know, pretty good at teaching math and reading. And you go, okay, so who do you want your kid to be? And they go, well, let's see. That would be all of them, right? Because all of them, right, have different kinds of expertise. So then you start to think about what expertise do they bring? How do we then think about what other specializations? How do we look at a group of kids and say, well, I got a group of kids. There's a high number of kids that have special needs. There's a high number of kids who are second language learners. Um, I've got a couple kids who, you know, whatever the case may be, you start to look at the data around these kids and who these kids are and what they need, right, in terms of socio-emotional learning and all of that. And you say, all right, so then let's look at these teachers. Let's see what their strengths are. Then let's look at the paras, right, that we probably have. We've got a couple of those, but they've been underprepared. So can we upskill them in some ways around literacy, around special ed, around so that they come in now in sort of technician roles? Then you think about who in the community do you need? So there are people who have maybe they're they're educated, maybe they're undereducated, but they have skills, right, in teaching literacy and culture and things like that. But we upskill them in some ways and we bring them into the team. Now you've got a team of people around 100 kids that are all now working together in this dynamic way. They're, they're grouping, they're regrouping, they're thinking about what kids need. That then changes schedules, right? So then that pushes on how, how schedules begin to change. So no more, oh, we got you know, 50 minutes here and 50 minutes here and 50 minutes of the next thing. We've been seeing this at elementary, at middle school and at high school. So we've, we've, we're, we've been um, testing this like in, in different places. Um, and so, you know, in the 30 schools in which have, have started this, we're seeing different ways that people are beginning to think about the roles that people have, how they play those roles, uh, the dynamic nature of what that looks like, cross team roles. So there's, there's a whole... There's just a whole new set, right? A teacher is not a teacher is not a teacher anymore. And so we start thinking about educators, right? We think broadly about who educators are and the kinds of, of um, opportunity that they, that they have and that they bring um, to a group of kids. It sounds like you're thinking about specialization, not just in terms of the academic subjects, like it traditionally would have been thought of, but maybe I'm really skilled in facilitating projects that are interdisciplinary from my engineering background. Maybe someone else is really good at that. That parapro is really good with tutoring small groups of students uh, and with a little bit more literacy expertise can go deep on, you know, maybe some foundational concepts that I didn't get when in earlier grades, whatever it might be. It sounds like you're thinking about specialization more broadly than has been typically thought of if I'm getting it right and yeah. Yeah. maybe more community specific. Uh, but I'm curious how you figure out or the schools that you've been working with, 
how do they figure out what are the different specializations and, and how they uh, help educators find those different right. pathways? So part of it is liberating our content. So colleges of education who I think have held their content very, very closely for so long, like you can only get it if you come in to be a professional mm -hmm. teacher. And today what we're saying is, so how do we offer what we have in smaller bite-sized pieces? So we've created something called a community educator platform. And that, you know, was creating these sort of small backpacks for people to come to grab around typical things like reading, around math instruction, but also now thinking about, you know, other, other ways that people can come in and, and support kids or support, you know, teachers around data literacy, um, other, other things as we look even across uh, the university to things that we think may be important. And as districts come to us and say, we need support around trauma or we need support around socio-emotional learning or, um, you know, mental health kinds of things for kids or even, you know, physical health. Um, for kids. We've, we've been, um, you know, talking to a number of people, including the McCain Institute, right, around some of the things that they're doing um, to keep kids safe, right, around media literacy and, and things like that, um, you know, around social media. So, and then in teacher preparation, we now have created electives for our students, which is unheard of in teacher preparation. But now they also, like, they may, they may take those electives in special ed or, or ESL or some of the endorsement areas, but again, now we're looking across the university to say, are there things that districts really need from them in terms of, you know, it might be something in engineering, but it may also be in data analytics. It might be um, something coming out of social work, right, or counseling um, that, that we start to build these sort of specializations for people so that there are things coming out. So it's a, it's a back and forth with our districts that inform what they need. And then us kind of looking to see what do we have that we could offer that we think makes some sense for students. It, it seems to me that this approach actually could be a real answer to uh, some people have worried that we're going to thrust teachers uh, into roles with uh, mental health counseling and the like for which they're not mm -hmm. trained and could actually exacerbate problems. It seems like this could be an answer uh, to yeah. the challenge that there aren't enough mental health workers in this right. conventional system, but they could be more on the ground now. Um, I'm curious, it, the vision also seems to push on a couple other fronts, and I'll, I'll start with one of them, which is physical layout of the schools. I, I imagine that you want, you know, if you have 100 kids with, say, three or four educators, uh, if I'm doing the math right, maybe it's five if you have some paras, uh, you want maybe very different looking spaces. What does that look like? How hard is it to reconfigure? Is it necessary? Yeah, I, space has been um, an interesting challenge, I think, for schools. But I think that there, you know, different people have been have been thinking about it in different ways. Some of them have just cut holes in walls. Some of them have just opened doors, and you know, they they send the messages right that that every teacher owns that roster of kids, um, and so you know that just it looks different. And I, I do want to say, look, this is this is nascent. We don't have all this figured out. We certainly are not being prescriptive about this. Um, I think, you know, we'll see. We certainly, there's a long history of this work. I mean, the 60s and 70s, this was open classrooms and yeah, this is open classroom, teams yeah. and all of that, right? This was a big thing until accountability came along and like it closed all the doors again, I think. But I think that the, the difference is, is that one, I think that the time has come. Uh, we, we need, we have to think about this differently. There's just too many things now that we've put on teachers' plates. And I, and I do think it's irresponsible to ask teachers to do things they're not really prepared to do. So they're, they're, they're just too spread out. It's, it's just too much. 
Um, but I do think that the other thing is technology and how technology also supports all of this. Um, now that we're seeing uh, the integration more of, of AI, but also of remote learning and, and how people come in from outside to remote in, how do we bring the community in to do certain things, to work with small groups of kids. Um, and so, you know, space is a challenge just given the way space is, but I think it will be interesting to see how teachers, and we're beginning to see how teachers are actually pretty creative about that. No, that makes sense. And, and I, I think that'll be an interesting evolution of the schoolhouse uh, toward open classrooms away and then maybe back toward uh, yeah. in many ways and to and, a point and the technology has changed. Yeah. And in newer schools, right? I mean, you've got more you know, you've got accordion doors, you know, schools are being built with glass doors. We still have a lot of very traditional, uh, you know, schools. Infrastructure. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no question about it. It's not going to change overnight, but we do have to think more. Well, so the other barrier that it seems to me that could be there, and I'm curious how you all are working with the schools on this one as well, uh, is from a public policy regulatory perspective of who we consider uh, to be a teacher and how we think about certification and licensure uh, of educators has that reared its head? What is what's the latest and greatest thinking around how to uh, tackle those questions? I think it's a good question. I think, and I think states are wrestling with it. I think they are trying to figure out how to open the doors to more things without, uh, you know, to think about different layers and levels. I compare this to healthcare uh, a lot of times, where I think about, you know, we used to have LPNs and RNs, and today you have lots of certified technicians who play different roles as we think about, you know, how people serve a group of patients. Um, but you also have, you know, RNs who now specialize, you have nurse practitioners, you have physician's assistants, in the same way we're thinking about, you know, paraprofessionals and the roles and, and you go, could paraprofessionals now become technicians and could we certify around that? Uh, mm -hmm. We're seeing states that are moving to, you know, assistant or associate teacher roles, um, particularly as it, for teacher candidates coming in. Um, but for those who, who want some kind of, of advancement progression. And then I think there is opportunity, right? We've, we've been preparing teachers who get master's degrees and or who specialize in all kinds of things, but they're still in their classroom. They never really get to use that specialization. So if your kid is lucky enough to get that teacher and you need that particular, you know, there are reading specialists, good for you. Your kid gets the teacher with it's a reading specialist. And nobody else gets that kid, you know, gets that teacher. And so this is this opportunity too, right then around, you know, diversity writ large of, of kids getting exposure and access to more people, more people who look like them, more people who have specialization, more people who have different kinds of experience. Um, and that's across that, that continuum. And I think that from a policy standpoint, we're gonna have to think about that and allow people to actually get certified or specialized in a variety of different areas and then build the human resource systems, right? That then allow us to build those kinds of teams in a strategic way. And so that's a that's a whole nother lever um, that we're trying to push on too, is around those human resource systems. Fascinating. It, it, it reminds me of when uh, Clay Christensen and, and uh, his colleagues wrote the Innovators Prescription, and they made the observation to your point that uh, you know you should have uh, pharma technicians being able to practice to the top of their crafts nurse practitioners being able to do things that primary care physicians used to do right. primary care physicians mm -hmm. take the technology and do things that specialists used to do and specialists get to work on those really really thorny problems at the at the uppermost of the craft and you kind of wanted all the different guilds if you will uh, working together to keep lifting right. the uh, ceilings for each of those I, I want to go to a question um, 
Mark, Mark Schneiderman uh, asks about how does something like flipped classroom complement this concept? So I, I think we could enlarge this. You know, there's a lot of innovative pedagogical models that we've seen enter in terms of blended learning, in terms of project-based learning, things of that nature. How does it fit in uh, to, to, uh, to, to the uh, vision and the work? Yeah, so I think it all fits, right? I mean, I don't, this is not prescriptive around what curricular models are, instructional models. Good instruction, good curriculum is still good instruction and good curriculum. And, and these models need that probably more than ever. I think this just gives an opportunity for people to work together in different ways, but actually to refine those systems and have more people who have eyes on kids, eyes on assessment, um, you know, thinking about, you know, bias and all those kinds of things. Um, but I think it's just more people coming together. And I think flipped classrooms, right, are just, they're part of that. They're part and parcel of what we think today um, is really good instruction. So we can actually do more small groups and classrooms, but now you have more adults, right, to manage the work that actually happens during that classroom time um, and begin to think again about what schedules look like. We're seeing many more schedules that are now allowing, right, for kids to have more time to do what they need to do. So a kid needs more time in math, they get more time because now you've got more adults and you're thinking about, you know, around kids and you're able to group and regroup in different ways. So all of that is, is still part and parcel of the work. No, that makes total sense. So, so let's shift uh, as we sort of the last part of this conversation, which is what's happening on the ground What's the work you all are doing? You have a number of partnerships. You mentioned 30 schools you're working with. Yeah. Give us a flavor of what that looks like and what the vision is uh, to actually make this a reality uh, in schools, certainly I imagine in Arizona, but across the country. So um, we've got about 30 schools here. Um, many of those schools are in Mesa Public Schools. That's our probably largest district superintendent, uh, Andy Forlis, who said, put a flag in the sand and said, you know, we want... 50% of our schools, uh, it's a district of about 75 schools, um, to be next education workforce schools within two years. They're about halfway there. Uh, they'll probably get there in two years. Um, and that's elementary, middle school, high schools uh, that are moving. Uh, we've got four other districts um, here in uh, Arizona, and then others that are joining us in launching and learning through a bigger network with AASA, the Superintendents Association. We've been thrilled to partner with them. We're also working with AACTE, so that's an American Association for College Teacher Educators, uh, thinking now about what does this mean for teacher preparation, because we think we've got to push on that lever. And so uh, they also have, are a partner with us. We're trying to bring on other universities uh, that colleges of ed that would be interested in helping us think about this. And so we're, you know, we're gathering. We've talked to both unions. We've talked to you know, all of the sort of national players. We've got a number of, of sort of consultants that have been doing some of this work, um, you know, including folks at Public Impact and, and others um, that are thinking about this. We've got partnerships with, um, uh, you know, folks that are thinking now about, you know, on the, on the sort of tutoring side, you know, all those kinds of things that are happening. And how does that, you know, how does that begin to, to fit into this? And we've got all of those people who are out there as we think about national tutoring cores, um, so there's a number of uh, partners um, that we have been working with and trying to figure out all the pieces of this very large, complex system. And so, again, this is not just, a, you know, flash in the pan. It's a program. Here's a prescription. Go do this. Um, it's something we've all got to figure out together. And it's got to be context. You know, context matters here and community based. And so. 
Um, we're, I think we're providing the, the sort of framework for this and trying to build an infrastructure because teachers haven't learned to work on teams. Uh, they need to understand what that, what that means, what that looks like, how to design this. Uh, we need to start thinking about what does it mean to be a team lead? What does it mean then to be a leader of a school with teams, right? So all of that work that I think didn't happen when we just opened, you know, we did open classrooms. Um, we're trying to build that infrastructure. So um, again, we just, we got a, a Department of Ed grant to work with the human resources systems in, in Mesa Public Schools to start shifting and thinking about salary structures, evaluation. Um, how do we think now about teacher evaluation to be more team-based, not just individual? So lots of things on, on that side and then building this community educator platform to, to try to liberate our content, to provide more access to people so that we can start to see what that begins to look like as people really learn how how to teach and that there really is something here. And as I say, get the public back into public education. It's an amazing breadth of activity as, as you're describing it. It's not just, as you said, a research initiative with maybe some changes in a couple classes uh, that teachers uh, or educators uh, are, are at the Mary Lou, Lou Fulton College are, are taking, yeah. but all these interactions with a lot of different groups uh, to, as you said, move the system. It also occurs to me uh, that as you're talking to unions and so forth, this could be a real answer for them in terms of keeping their memberships uh, bigger because, uh, and I, again, I write this in the book from Reopen to Reinvent, that we have ignored all the research around employee motivation in education for decades now in terms of the importance around advancement, responsibility, uh, the intrinsic work itself, things of that nature. Uh, and instead we've sort of said, hey, advancement, okay, go out of teaching to be an administrator and things like that. And so uh, it, it seems to me that you're incorporating a lot of those motivators into the design, which, which hopefully will be incredibly fruitful. But it, it goes to the question that I'm curious about is, the teachers that have enacted this, that have started to move to these models, what do they say? What are you hearing from them? The happiness quotient is huge, right? So this the is working organization, is right? It's huge. And it, I mean, everything that we've done. So we're working uh, with Johns Hopkins uh, around some, some work that they're doing, their policy institute. Uh, we're also working uh, now, the Center for Reinventing Public Education is now part of uh, our college at the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College and ASU. So they have been working with us and will continue to work with us on, on really looking at evaluation and research. But I mean, the first thing we did with this, the district said, if the teachers are happy, we're going to keep doing this. And that has been just absolutely tremendous. Um, there's a, a video on our website and I think it's, I don't know, 23 seconds in and this teacher says, I will never go back. And it's the most powerful piece of the whole video. It's a great video. Well, the most powerful piece of it, right, is this teacher saying, I will never go back. That's huge uh, and, and, if, huge. And, a, and a huge part of this. So take us home uh, as you think about where this goes. What are the goals over the next few years? What do you want to see in place? What's the bigger vision uh, of how you move the system as you start to coalesce these partnerships and proof points across the country? Well, I think we need more of them, right? It can't, it can't, this isn't just an Arizona thing. We have one context. I'd love to see this, you know, across the country where we've got, you know, we keep talking about a hub and spoke model um, where, you know, we can continue to, to, to kind of be, you know, thought leaders around this, provide some infrastructure, but we're going to need everybody. I mean, this is not something we're going to do as, as, you know, ASU or the teacher's college here. 
Um, it, it's going to take lots of spokes then of people to say, yeah, we want to be our own little, you know, mini hubs for this and, and start to move this within, uh, you know, their, their school systems and within, you know, partnerships, real university school partnerships that we've talked about for a very long time. This is definitely a systems play. Um, and so, you know, we're going to keep pushing on, on everything and everybody that, that we possibly can um, and, you know, and see where it takes us. But we're not going to come out of this thing called teacher shortage if we continue to look at it as teacher shortage or as a recruitment retention. It's got to be more than, oh, we're going to do more high school programs, that we're going to create more pipelines. It's not going to happen until the fundamental role of a teacher changes. We cannot keep asking people to be everything to everyone all the time. And so the, this normative structure of a one teacher, one classroom model is going to have to fundamentally change. And so that's what we're pushing on. So Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. It just, uh, and you said it so well there, and it strikes me uh, that there's some work to help us move uh, forward in that, in, in that direction. Uh, but it also strikes me that there's gonna be a lot of schools that watch this and get really excited and want to know how they can be part of this. Yeah. So what's the best way for them to get involved uh, in the Next Education Workforce Initiative? They can contact me. They can get on our website around Next Education Workforce at ASU. Um, and, you know, just let us know you're interested and we'll get you signed up and registered. We have both a, a learning and a launching cohort. So people that are just ready to sort of learn more because there's a lot more to learn and we're trying to figure it out. We'll spend a year just, just spending time with people, kind of learning, watching and seeing other people who are launching. Those of you who, you know, want to stand up and go, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's, you know, we got to start moving. I got the right leader. And, you know, all it takes is one leader and one school team um, to get started. So it, it, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to feel like this is a monumental shift, but there is a way to kind of dip your toe in and see whether or not this will work. Um, just contact us. Beautiful. And uh, keep up the good work. I'm Thanks. tremendously appreciative. I know uh, that amidst the pandemic, people have realized just how unsustainable this is uh, for teachers. So I think it's the right time uh, for this as well. You're entering the right window and giving people a real solution. So I'm deeply appreciative, deeply excited uh, about it. And if you're Thanks. watching this, reading this, get, get in touch with Carol uh, so you can help uh, change uh, the future of education. And, and so with that, We'll leave this conversation there, but more to come as we continue to track and follow it. Thanks for being Thanks. here. Thanks so much.